holds us fast is what ultimately gives us peace through this walk of life. Because this walk is not always easy. In fact, God has called us to suffering for Him. My last three sermons have been on the dedicated church, where we saw this first church who was called by God, who came together in the power of the Holy Spirit, and we saw that they were dedicated to certain things, that they were steadfast in doctrine, the apostles' teaching, that they were steadfast and dedicated to fellowship as a church, that they were steadfast and devoted to remembering the Lord's sacrifice through the Lord's Supper, and that they were steadfast and dedicated to constant prayer as a church. And now we see what happens to this dedicated church. Because without this dedication, without this holding steadfast to the truth of God, the trials that were to come to them, they would fall away. They would melt under the pressure if, They were not steadfast and dedicated to a righteous and holy God who held them fast in His hand. So today we're going to look at the persecuted church. As we read in Acts chapter 7 verse 59, this persecution starts with Stephen simply telling the truth of who God is. He goes through the history of the people of Israel and how God had brought them through And through all the trials and all the attempts of Satan to destroy God's people, yet the Messiah came. And that these people with wicked hands had crucified Him. But He was buried and He was raised again in the same Jesus Christ as the Messiah. And for that, they stoned Him to death. In a brutal murder. And Paul with much zeal. It's Saul at this time, it's Paul is his Roman name, but Saul is his Jewish name, and at this time he felt so much zeal at seeing someone murdered that it motivated him to go and destroy this church. And so he hunted them down. And we see the great dispersion where this church goes throughout the region fleeing the persecution that was coming to them. But what is so important to this church is that they did not run and hide. They ran and preached the gospel of Jesus Christ. God does not ask you to run into danger willingly to be killed, but He does ask you to be dedicated to Him and to preach His word when you can. Paul even fled when he could from beatings and persecution. But, when the time comes, as the apostles would face, they would not flee, but they would preach the righteousness of God. And that's what those people did. Yes, they were trying to save their lives. Yes, they were trying to protect their families. But in doing so, they didn't run throughout Judea and Samaria and hide in homes and say, I don't know what you're talking about. They went to Judea and Samaria and they preached the good news of Jesus Christ. 
And the persecution that Satan started through Saul lit a wildfire throughout the region. And people were continually being added to the church. And we will see that there is much persecution to come. Now I'm going to go through a lot of verses. Don't write them all down because I'm going to go quicker than you can write. But if you want, I will email this whole um, message to you. and You can have every bit of it. And I'll email you the entire sermon. But we will see that the persecution starts in Acts. The book of Acts goes through the persecution. In chapters 4 and 5, we see Peter and John arrested multiple times by the Sadducees. They're questioned by the Sanhedrin court. They're flogged and whipped and imprisoned. In chapter 6, Stephen is arrested by the people, the elders of the scribes, and he questioned before the Sanhedrin. And then he is stoned to death, which sparked the severe persecution against this church in Jerusalem. In chapters 8 and 9, you see that Paul is imprisoned with many Christians because Paul was on his way to Damascus to destroy this church. But God had a plan for Paul that he would suffer great things for Jesus Christ. And Paul, throughout the rest of his life, was willing to suffer those great things for Jesus Christ. In chapters 9, 20, and 23, there's three plots, separate plots to kill Paul by the Jews, but God spares his life through these three things. In chapter 12, we see that Herod, hating the Jews, not his own people that have gone to this new religion that destroys his kingship and his throne, has the apostle James executed. And he imprisons Peter with the plan to also kill Peter. But Peter is delivered because of a prayer meeting of saints in the middle of the night. In chapter 13, you see Paul and Barnabas driven out of Antioch, out of Poseidon. In chapter 14, the Jews and the Gentiles attempt unsuccessfully to stone Paul and Barnabas. In chapter 4, they're successful in stoning Paul nearly to death that they even leave him in the middle of the road because they believe him dead. And the faithful brothers and sisters come and get Paul. And the next day Paul goes about again preaching the news of Jesus Christ after he had been thought to be dead from being brutally beaten with stones. In chapter 16 you see Paul and Silas beaten and flogged and imprisoned and put in stocks simply because they cast a demon out of a girl, and they preached the truth of Jesus Christ. In chapter 17, they're chased out of multiple towns by the Jews. But it's not just Paul. It's also just the faithful. Because in, in, uh, in chapter 17, you see Jason protecting Paul giving him a chance to escape. And Jason and his household are assaulted for doing this. End quote. Turning the world upside down. And they are imprisoned. And Paul is able to make his escape. In chapter 18, you see that Paul is made to appear before the Roman proconsul, who dismisses the case because it's just an internal dispute. You Jews can't even agree amongst yourselves. 
In chapter 19, the worshipers of Artemis in Ephesus riot against Paul and his companions. And in chapter 19, through the rest of Acts, you see that Paul is in his final journey to Rome. He's taken by the Jews in Jerusalem to be killed, but he's rescued by Roman soldiers who then put him in prison. He testifies before the Sanhedrin, before Governor Felix at Caesarea, and then he uses his status as a Roman citizen to ultimately be taken to Rome to speak before Caesar, knowing that he will die there in Rome. Much persecution for preaching the truth. Now the only apostle's death that is recorded is James in Acts chapter 12 verse 2 where King Herod had James put to death with the sword, meaning he beheaded him. The circumstances and the deaths of the other apostles are related to us through church history. Some are very reliable, some are not as reliable in the church history. But the ones that are reliable through church history show that Peter, the apostle Peter, was crucified upside down in Rome because he said he was not worthy to be crucified in the same manner as his Lord, so they turned him upside down. Matthew was killed by the sword in Ethiopia. James, the brother of Jesus, not officially an apostle, but he was the leader of the church of Jerusalem, was thrown from the southeast pinnacle of the temple, over a hundred feet down. He was beaten because he refused to deny his faith in Jesus Christ. Bartholomew, also known as Nathaniel, was a missionary to Asia. He witnessed to present-day Turkey, and he was killed for his preaching. Andrew was crucified on an X-cross, an X-shaped cross in Greece. And it's reported by his followers that as he was led to the cross, he saluted it with these words, I have long desired and expected this happy hour. The cross has been consecrated by the body of Christ hanging on it. The Apostle Thomas was killed with a spear in one of his missionary trips to India. Matthias, the apostle who was chosen to replace the traitor Judas Iscariot, was stoned and then beheaded. And then Paul was tortured, beaten, and beheaded by the emperor Nero in the year 67. John, the apostle John, faced martyrdom and he was boiled in a huge vat of oil. But through God's mercy, it did not kill him. So they sent him to the Isle of Patmos, a prison where he wrote the prophetic book of Revelations. And he's believed to be the only apostle who died a natural death of old age peacefully. But what's not important is how the apostles died. What is important is the fact that they were willing to die for their faith. They were willing to preach wherever God would have them to preach. To every nation, kindred, and tongue. Because God had told them, go out throughout all the world preaching and baptizing in the name of God the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. And they took that calling and they went to the ends of the earth as far as they could go to preach, knowing that death would come to them. But it didn't stop there. We see the early church martyrs continue through many ages of church history. If you want to read a book, read Fox's Book of Martyrs. 
It's a hard book to read. But I encourage you to read it. Under Nero in 67, Paul and Peter were killed. Erastus, Aristarchus, Trophimus. There's just names. But brothers and sisters, these are the names of saints who were willing to die because they refused to deny that Jesus Christ was Lord. Then under the emperor Domitian, Simeon, the bishop of Jerusalem, was crucified and the apostle John was boiled. Under the emperor Trajan, in the year 108, Ignatius was devoured by lions. Under Marcus Aurelius Antonius, in the year 162, a man named Polycarp, who was a preacher in Smyrna, was carried before the proconsul and he was condemned and taken to be burned in the marketplace. The leaders urged him, saying, Swear, swear, and that we will release you if you will reproach Christ. And Polycarp answered, Eighty-six years have I served him, and he never once wronged me. How then shall I blaspheme my king who has saved me? And usually at that time they would tie them to the stakes and they would nail them so they couldn't try to escape. But he convinced them and assured them not to nail him because he would not run from the flames. Under the emperor Severus in 192, and every century since, the people of God were persecuted through pagan emperors. But then we see Satan attempt a different way. He takes a corrupt church. He takes a twisted doctrine. And he corrupts the world through a false religion of the Roman Catholicism. And the persecution continues with those who refuse who refused to deny the apostles' doctrine that they were first taught, that was passed down from generation to generation. In the year 1147, the Waldenses of France were persecuted by Pope Alexander III, and he massacred hundreds of people for refusing to believe that the Pope was Christ on earth and many other heresies. In 1414, John Huss, encouraged and inflamed by Wycliffe's testimony, refused to preach anything but Christ as Lord. And he was burned. And as he was burned, he sung a hymn with so loud and cheerful a voice that he was heard through the cracklings of the fire. The Roman church was so mad at this that they went and dug up Wycliffe's bones and they burned them to a powder, and threw them into the river. But that river went throughout Europe. And his message spread throughout all of Europe. In 1473, Thomas Granter was accused of professing the doctrines that Wycliffe had taught. And he was condemned as a heretic. And on the morning of the execution, he asked for food. And he sat down and ate a meal and he said... I eat now a very good meal, for I have a strange conflict to engage before I go to supper. And then he was taken and burned, because he knew that he would dine with Jesus Christ that day. In 1524 and 1545, John Clark and James Coburn 
for speaking against transubstantiation, which means that the body of Christ is continually consumed, that is communion bread, that it is actually His real body and He must suffer and sacrifice again and again. But we know through Hebrews that He suffered once for all time. In 1536, William Tyndale was strangled and burned for translating the Bible for the common man to read. And as he was being burned, he loudly cried out, Lord, open the eyes of the King of England. In 1546, Peter Chapeau, for selling Bibles in the French language, was murdered. In 1688, John Bunyan died. And throughout his life, he was imprisoned over and over and over again for not having a license to preach, and yet he preached. And in prison, he wrote Pilgrim's Progress. And you know, at the time, even the Puritans scolded him for writing such a worldly-sounding book until they read it. And they realized that they all carried those tattered, ragged burdens upon their back until they were laid at the feet of Jesus Christ. But we say, this is, an, this is a long time ago. Thousands and thousands of years ago. Surely the persecution doesn't really continue like that. In 1944, during World War II, the war had ended. Russia had taken over Poland as part of that war. And they took over Romania. And a pastor named Richard Wormbrand refused to acknowledge the state religion of Russian communism which said atheism would be our national state religion. Richard Wormbrand stood up publicly and preached the truth in the midst of the Communist Party, knowing what it would mean for him. And then he was taken and for 14 years, Richard Wormbrand was cruelly beaten on a daily basis. You know, he was forbidden to pray because if he prayed, he would be beaten. So after they beat him every day, he would go into his cell and he would kneel before the cell door and pray, knowing that he would be seen praying. And after years and years of this one man beating him, he opened the door and he said, why are you still praying? Your God has abandoned you. He's not here. Why are you praying for Him to deliver you? He said, I'm not praying for Him to deliver me. I'm praying for you. He was laid across a table and had the bottom of his feet beaten with reeds until he could not walk. He saw his friends die before his eyes. One of his friends, who was also a pastor, was imprisoned and he would not deny Christ. So they brought that pastor's teenage son into the prison and they beat his brains out in front of that father for not denying Christ. And before that son died, he looked at his father and said, Do not deny. Be faithful. And then they beat his brains out in front of his father. You can see that story or read it in the book Tortured for Christ. It's hard. It's hard to see, and it's hard to read, but it is real. In the 1930s, a man named Dietrich Bonhoeffer lived in Germany. And he saw the evil that Nazism was bringing into the country. 
And he saw how it was taking people away from Jesus Christ into a nationalism. He went to America, but in 1939, I believe it was, he went back to Germany because he knew that the gospel must be preached publicly. That the Nazism must be publicly denied and preached against. He was a vocal opponent all of his years there, and for that he was imprisoned and arrested in 1943. And for two years, he wrote letters to people, encouraging them to keep the faith, to remain strong and dedicated to Jesus Christ. And just days before that war was ended, the Nazis becoming desperate went and killed him in his jail cell. In 1956... Ed McCauley, Roger Yoderin, Pete Fleming, a pilot named Nate Saint, and a man named Jim Elliott went to Ecuador to preach the truth of Jesus Christ to those who had never heard it. And they were killed for their work. Now I've just given you a long list of 2,000 years of people dying for their faith. That's a little bit depressing. And I will tell you, as I was studying for this sermon, I was getting beat down that there is so much death that it could come to us. And I look at my children and I think, what would I do? But then I find hope and I find encouragement in the saints of old, that great cloud of witnesses That hall of faith didn't just stop at the end of Hebrews 11. It continued on throughout these generations. But I want you to look at Philippians chapter 1 verses 29 through 30. And this is how the church was able to go as they were scattered out being persecuted. And their response to persecution was to preach. Even knowing what was coming. Philippians chapter 1 verses 29 through 30 says, For to you it has been granted or given on behalf of Christ, not only to believe in Him, but also to suffer for His sake. Having the same conflict which you saw in me and now here in me. It's been granted or given. That just means it's favor, it has been favorably shown Gracious to you. Yes, that faith is gracious. We love that He has given us that faith. But we often forget that that same loving graciousness has benevolently given us suffering at the same time. Suffering? A gift of Christ? Are we sure? How is that a benevolent gift? Of course we see the faith as benevolent. It's beautiful. We see it draw us to Him. We see Him saving us from an eternal destruction. But suffering is a gift. Suffering is a strong word. It means to be afflicted with much pain. Brothers and sisters, we are given the gift of suffering with much pain. The church at Philippi saw this firsthand. The church at Philippi saw this firsthand, and now he is writing to them that it has been granted to you to both believe and suffer as I have suffered. Can you imagine the, the Philippian jailer 
reading this letter and these words, he saw the stripes on Paul and Silas. He saw the bruises and the blood on them because he took them to his house and he cleansed the blood from them and he cleaned their wounds. And now he is reading from Paul. For you, jailer, it has been given on behalf of Christ not only to believe on him, but also to suffer for him. To have the same conflict which you see in me and now hear in me. You, jailer, it's given to you as a blessing to suffer. All believers are appointed by God to pay a price for their faith. Suffering for God, it's inevitable. Some more extreme like the ones that I've listed... They have given the ultimate sacrifice of suffering on behalf of their Savior. Some may suffer less. And I pray that you suffer less. I do. But we are all going to suffer in some way for Christ. We live in a fallen world. This world hates Jesus Christ. They hate God. Why? Because He exposes them to their true nature. And they hate Him. John chapter 15 verse 22 says, If I had not come and spoken unto them, they had not had sin. But now they have no cloak for their sin. He exposed them as to who they truly are. And for that they hate Him. They hate Him. Believing and suffering, both gifts, in the midst of a hateful world. Have you paid a price? You may have already. Have you paid a price with your own family when you had faith in God and they mocked you? Have you lost brothers and sisters and fathers and mothers, children and cousins and best friends because you have placed your faith In Jesus Christ. Have you been mocked at work for praying? For having a Bible on your desk? Are you the scorn of your neighborhood because you faithfully go to church every Sunday and faithfully have prayer meetings? You may be called to suffer. But this gift of saving faith comes from above and just as it comes from above, so does this gift. Of suffering. As we read this morning in our morning reading for Brother Chris, Matthew chapter 5, we see these Beatitudes. Blessed are you for the, if you're poor in spirit. Blessed are you that mourn. Blessed are the meek. Blessed are they which hunger and thirst after righteousness. Blessed are the merciful. Blessed are the pure in heart. And blessed are the peacemakers. But the crowning beatitude of all of these is suffering. There are eight beatitudes listed here and seven receive one verse each. But this final beatitude of persecution takes three verses to emphasize the importance of it. Because living your life as the first seven will make you stand out to a godless world. Living as the first seven Beatitudes will shine so bright a light that the world cannot but see you and they will hate you and persecute you. 
And then it says, Blessed are you if you are persecuted for righteousness' sake, for yours is the kingdom of heaven. When men revile you, they persecute you, they say all manner of evil against you falsely, for his sake. Rejoice and be exceeding glad. For great is your reward in heaven, for so persecuted they the prophets. We are not immune from this persecution. This world has always been evil. Always. Matthew chapter 10, Jesus tells His apostles that He is sending them out into a world. In verse 22, He says, You will be hated of all men for My name's sake. But that endureth to the end shall be saved. And then he tells them later on that I'm sending you out as sheep into a world of serpents. So be wise. But they will hate you because of me. And as we become more like Christ in Romans chapter 8, 28 through 30 where it says we were being conformed to the image of Christ. That is living in these seven Beatitudes, being conformed to the image of Christ. And as you are conformed to Him, and as you are poor in spirit, and you mourn, and you are meek, and you hunger and thirst for Jesus Christ when the world around you hungers for fame and wealth, And you are pure in heart when the world around you is dark and black. And you are a peacemaker in the midst of people who cause strife. Then you are being conformed like Christ. And He suffered greatly. And you are called to suffer as Christ suffered. And you will be persecuted for His sake. John chapter 15, verses 18 through 20, tells us of the hate that the world will have for you. If the world hates you, you know that it hated me before it hated you. Because if you were of the world, the world would love his own. But because you are not of the world and I have chosen you out of this world, therefore the world hates you. Remember the word that I said unto you, The servant is not greater than his Lord. If they have persecuted me, they will also persecute you. If they have kept my saying, they will keep yours also. The world does not like you less because you follow Christ. That's not what hate means. The word hate means to extremely detest. They cannot stand you. The very thought of you being pure in heart and meek and hungering and thirsting after righteousness doesn't make them just like you a little bit less than they like the rest. They can't stand the very thought of you. They hate you because they hate Christ. They hate you because Christ shows them their sinfulness. They hate you because their sin is exposed when you have the light of Christ in you. They hate you when the light of Christ shines forth because they love 
darkness because darkness hides who they really are and no one wants to see who they really are in the light of a righteous and holy God. They want it, they want it covered and you expose it through showing the light of Jesus Christ. But when you expose that light, expect to be hated. Expect to be persecuted. Expect to be mocked. Expect to be beaten and imprisoned because, brothers and sisters, I tell you, it can come to our shores. It's already trying. We sit comfortable in our churches in America. We have brothers and sisters in China who are meeting in secret because they know that if they are exposed, they'll be imprisoned, and yet they meet. We have brothers and sisters in all the nations who have their churches being burned down, who are being hunted and beaded simply because they love Jesus Christ and we sit comfortably in our churches. And we come to worship on Sunday and we want to hear of the love of Jesus Christ and how He has saved us from our sins. But we don't want to hear that it's coming to our shores. But it is. Persecution is coming for you and for me. Will you stand dedicated and steadfast as the New Testament church. When the persecution comes, will you run and hide or will you go out and preach? That's why I preached those other three sermons. That we must be dedicated to the truth because the truth is being twisted by men in churches. People like false prophets like Stephen Furtick and Joel Olstein and all the others are twisting the truth. To make the gospel comfortable. They don't want to know that it hurts to follow Christ. They want you to think that your life will be good. That you will sit in comfort until you go to glory. But I tell you, the roses have thorns with them. And they hurt when you follow Jesus Christ. Do not be deceived by gospels of comfort. Because that is not the gospel. And that is not the doctrine of the apostles that they teached. Because the church did not run and hide. They ran and preached. You will suffer for God's glory. 1 Peter chapter 4. Verses 12 through 16. 1 Peter 4, 12 through 16. Beloved, do not think it strange concerning the fiery trial which is to try you as though some strange thing has happened to you. Don't think it's strange that you're persecuted all of a sudden, scratching your head, wondering, Lord, what did I do to deserve such punishment? Do you all remember Brother Stephen's Wednesday night devotion on Job not long ago? It wasn't because of Job's sin that he suffered. It was because he was righteous that he suffered. Paul is saying, why are you thinking it a strange thing that you're now suffering for me? Then he says, but rejoice to the extent. Be glad and rejoice to partake in Christ's sufferings. That when His glory is revealed, you may also be glad with exceeding joy. If you are reproached for the name of Christ, blessed are you. 
For the Spirit of glory and God rests upon you. In your suffering and in your reproach, God is resting on you. I said this before when I preached about Paul and his thorns of trials and he asked for God to take it away. And God said no because in your suffering and in your weakness I am made strong, Paul. And in your suffering I will rest upon you. And it's the same thing that Peter says. That if you are reproached, God rests upon you. That word rest means to tabernacle, to make a tent over you. God is encompassing you in your suffering. The Holy Spirit in the Holy of Holies is with you in your suffering. And then he continues, on their part, he is blasphemed. But on your part, he is glorified. But let none of you suffer as a murderer, a thief, an evildoer, a busybody, or in other people's matters. If anyone suffers as a Christian, let him not be ashamed. But let him glorify God in this matter. If you're going to suffer, let it be for Jesus Christ. If you're going to suffer, suffer because you have followed and righteousness. But don't be surprised at the furnace of affliction that comes upon you. It's not strange. It's to be expected. Rejoice even more in your trials. As God told Paul and Peter, and they tell us, because He is resting on you in your trials. Acts chapter 1 verse 8 says, But you shall receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you. And you shall be witnesses to me in Jerusalem and all Judea and Samaria and to the end of the earth. Witness sounds great. We love to witness, don't we? We love to go out in the streets and talk and witness. Do you know what the Greek word for witness here is? It is martyr. That is the Greek interpretation of this word, is martyr. Go out and be a martyr for Jesus Christ unto all the ends of the earth. We love a comfortable witness. Come into my home, in my safe place, and let me tell you of Jesus Christ. Are you willing to be a martyred witness for Jesus Christ? Are you willing to go where other people won't go? Are you willing to go where it is dark and dangerous? Where people hate the message of Jesus Christ and shine a light to them? Are you willing? Philippians chapter 1 verse 30 where we were a while ago. Where Paul says that you are to have the same conflict as I have. Where he says, having the same conflict which you saw in me, now here is in me. And he's telling them that they will suffer the same thing. That word conflict is agon. Where we get our word agony. There is much agony in serving Jesus Christ. They saw it in Acts 16, the Philippians church. 
And now he is saying that you, church at Philippi, will also experience the same agony that I see. He's saying, church, you are doing something right because the world hates you. You are suffering because you are doing right by following me. So carry on. Church, if you're not being persecuted, you may be doing something wrong. If you're a church that receives accolades of the world, if you're a pastor that all the news stations want to have on because you're just this great man and you've got Justin Bieber and Oprah Winfrey at your church and everyone is happy, I say beware because you are not following God in your comfort and your false doctrines. But he's saying, church, if you are being persecuted, then you're doing something right. If the world hates you, you're doing something right. We are to be in this world, not of this world. You are to stand out in this world, not by the way you dress, and not by a certain style of hair you keep, and the certain type of clothes you have, but in the way that you preach, the way that you love, the way that you talk. The way that you treat one another and the way that you stand firm for the truth of the gospel. That is where you stand out to the world. If you are living as Jesus says in the Beatitudes, you do not have to go looking for persecution. It will find you. I tell you, Satan has been out to destroy Jesus Christ and His message from the beginning of time. Starting in the Garden of Eden where He twisted God's words. The world was evil because Satan had spread throughout the world and God says, I'm going to destroy the world, save one faithful man. And those faithful people were lifted up by the waters in that ark the same way that God lifts His people up and holds you safe through the midst of trouble and persecution. Satan drove God's people through Pharaoh through God allowing it to the Red Sea with Moses, and they saw no hope, yet there was hope in God. And He opened the waters and the people parted, and the very waters that stopped them were the same waters that killed the Egyptians. There were endless wars in Israel. Israel and Judah divided. Satan was continually at work to destroy God's plan on this earth. Satan weaved his way in with Haman to destroy all of God's people. But the faithful Esther and Mordecai, God worked through them to preserve His people. And then Herod, afraid to lose his throne and knowing the prophecies that they would come true, slaughtered the babies, but yet Jesus Christ was saved. And then Satan thought he had the ultimate victory. When Jesus Christ was crucified. But He won! He rose from the grave. He won the victory on the cross. And He ascended into heaven. And He sits right now at the hand of God the Father. Interceding for you as you go through the persecution that will come. And now Satan is out to destroy the church. Since he failed in destroying our righteousness through Jesus Christ. He knows he could not beat Christ, but he will try to destroy his church. So he tried with persecution of the New Testament church through the Sanhedrin court, the Sadducees and the Pharisees. 
but they endured. He used the persecution of pagan emperors for hundreds and hundreds of years, but the truth endured. When he could not win through pagan emperors, he took a twisted doctrine of the Roman church and he persecuted for thousands of years God's people, but the truth endured. Now he takes the social and political mantras of the world of Nazism, socialism, communism, social justice, critical race theory. Take your pick. If it's some social mantra, it's not the gospel. The truth of loving people is found here in the Word of God. Because all of those mantras turn you away from God and take you to a man-centered religion. But the truth endures through you, church. You are how God carries the gospel through this world. It is you. It is not just me. It's not just Mike. It's not the men who go out and preach. It's you. You are the faithful. You are the faithful of Acts chapter 8 that go out throughout the world in persecution and preach the gospel. That is you. And I tell you, Satan will continue this campaign of destruction until the day that he and all his minions and all those who turn the back on the truth of Christ are taken and into hell and they are thrown into a fiery lake forever. And he will continue this campaign until then. He is after you, church. And he means to take as many with you as he can by corrupting this church, by feeding you with lies, by making you comfortable in your sin. But as the Puritan said, be killing sin or it will be killing you. Satan, with all of his trickery, all of his deception and schemes, he's already lost this war. But there are many battles yet to come for you that you must face. But Jesus has overcome this world. John 16, 32-33 says, Indeed, the hour is coming, and yes, now has come, that you will be scattered, each to his own. You will leave me alone, and yet I am not alone, because the Father is with me. These things I have spoken to you, spoken to me, to give you peace. What do you mean, Lord? Peace? That we scatter? That we're persecuted? Yes, that in the world you will have tribulation. But be of good cheer, for I have overcome this world. There is our joy. There is our peace and there is our comfort. No matter the tribulation, Jesus Christ has overcome this world. Develop your relationship then with God. Through being steadfast, through the teaching through fellowship, through remembering His sacrifice, through the Lord's Supper, and through much prayer. And this is how we demonstrate our trust and our utter dependence on God. Be the church that is devoted to fellowshipping, being together, praying. Be constant in prayer. Be persistent in prayer. Romans 12, 12, rejoicing in hope, patient in tribulation, and continuing steadfast in prayer. Be believers in prayer. 
Remembering in Hebrews chapter 10, 22, that you draw near with a full assurance of your faith in Jesus Christ. And in the midst of this persecution, we see this dedicated body in Acts chapter 8 be the body of Christ preaching to a dark world. We see them joyfully suffering because of the hope that they have in the promise of Jesus Christ. So remember His words because they did. John chapter 14, 27. Peace I leave with you. My peace I give you. Not as the world gives do I give to you. Let not your heart be troubled. Neither let it be afraid. And then in 1 John 4, 4, He says, You are of God, little children, and you have overcome them. Because he who is in you is greater than he who is in the world. Have your hope in the one who is greater. And be faithful to him. Let's pray. Lord, I pray that you draw us like you did the Israelites out of Egypt with Moses. And that, Lord, you would lift us up as you did Noah in the ark to save us from destruction. That you would save us through the faithfulness of people like Esther and Mordecai. That you would let us see our hope and salvation because of you and you alone. God, may our sorrow be turned to joy even in the midst of much affliction. Help us to faithfully live out Matthew, I mean Matthew chapter 5, those 7 and 8 Beatitudes. Lord, may we be faithful knowing that persecution is coming, but we, may we be faithful like the men and women of ancient days <clears throat> who stood faithful against persecution. Lord, may we be faithful like the men and women who stood against pagan churches. May we be like the faithful men and women of modern days who stood against Nazism, communism, socialism, knowing what it meant for them. May we be like the faithful men and women of Acts chapter 8 who were dedicated to the truth remembering your sacrifice, being together and praying together. Lord, make us faithful servants to you, knowing what joy is yet to come through the promise of Jesus Christ. Amen.